I'm still trying to get Alexa to say my name correctly. Oh, really? She likes oh, you can't in. even get Rob and Steve to say it correctly. Oh, that's that's true. Hey, listen. <laughs> good point. Oh, I've good been point, doing Ryan. Good, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's such a it's a such a subtle difference between a S and a Z. <laughs> See? And the topic of our next podcast yeah. will be pronunciation. Pronunciation. Lissa's name. Listen oh, there's up. Mr. Barkley. He's oh. made it. Hello. Hey, Steve, sir, could you give me some test words? You sounded a little low. Spanakopita. Oh, no, you're great. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> good test word, by the way. Thank you. Man, talk about this is like This is like the pronunciation uh, episode. It is. Spanapakita. Is, is that the correct pronunciation? Spanakopita? Yeah. So far as I know. That hmm. was Spanakopita. It could be Spanakopita. No, I don't know. Copacabana. Carolina. <laughs> I, feel like there, I feel like we need to get it. We need to. Th- this is very important. I don't think I can go on with the show without knowing. I mean, is it tomato, tomato, spano? Spano-pi- say it again, Steve, how you say it? Spanakopita. I say Spanakopita. I, 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 do we you have any? Right. I don't know. Is there Find anyone? us a Greek. We need to, yeah. Hello, hi. Hello. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, we, I want to say that you're correct. What? It's funny that you're having this conversation because I thought of this the other day. <laughs> uh, I, I always called it Spanakopita. And I had a Greek friend that basically cussed me out and was like, no, it's it's Spanakopita. Wow, oh, no kidding. I never get these things right. So I, I'm, oh, there, I'm, I'm, right I'm going to take it. I need the win. I needed a win today. Just a little win. Well, well you got it. Not I, quite. I don't think... <laughs> I'm going to be very quiet the rest of the show, I promise. Well, I think we're done yeah. the show. I think that's it. We've we've solved, <laughs> we've solved, solved, solved the pronunciation solved the problem. <laughs> so good night, everybody. This is why, this is why we needed a consultant. <laughs> Recording in progress. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. This is, of course, that was really loud. This is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, if we were the Justice League, he'd be Superman, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello. And also joining us in the room, Batman, Mr. Steve Barkley. I'm Batman. And of course, being our anchor, being our backbone, being our Aquaman, Liz Malone. That's caboose to you, sir. Well, you know, so I didn't, I didn't want to just go for the easy Wonder Woman <laughs> reference because I don't like, I don't know, I don't. I, Maybe you didn't want to be Wonder Woman. Or Catwoman. Wonder... But Wonder... Catwoman's not in the Justice League. What's wrong with you? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, before we go into any other rabbit hole, listen, you guys tried to do this intro for six years. And, uh, and you still can't do it. Do. I... Oh, thank you. <laughs> I remember that. Sped for Peter. All right, Ryan. No, I'm Superman. Okay, sorry, Superman. Uh, could you tell the fine folks at home uh, what uh, what the heck we're doing today and who we're talking to? Sure. Today we are speaking with Natalie Shearer and Serena Cormier from Two Canes Consulting. I thought we were standing up for the citizens of Gotham. That's next week's show. <laughs> oh, that's next week's show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, listen, we want to thank you so much for joining us, um, and uh, we're excited to talk to you. So maybe um, we could just start in uh, just giving us a little bit of background on who you guys are and maybe a little bit of how you met. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. Um, so, hi, I'm Natalie. I'm one half of Two Canes Consulting. Uh, so a bit of my background with having... Uh, not one, but two disabilities. So I was born with severe hearing loss in both ears. Um, And funny story, we didn't find out um, I had severe hearing loss until I was three and and started attending preschool. 
for some background, I come from a very loud, um, very loud and expressive family. They could all be audiologists because they're very in your face. They over enunciate everything. So um, my hearing loss wasn't detected until I went to school and was around other people that weren't quite as loud. Uh, so I started wearing hearing aids when I was three. Um, I've worn them ever since. And we never really knew what the cause of hearing loss was um, until I was about 14. And I noticed I was experiencing um, loss of night vision. So uh, I think one night I sort of just looked up and realized, oh, I can't see stars. That's kind of weird, but okay. And it was just like little things like that, that I was like, oh, I'm kind of starting to suck at sports. That's weird, but okay. Um, so then by the time I was 17, I was diagnosed with a form of deaf blindness called Usher syndrome. Um, and so fast forward a bit, uh, I don't know how old I would have been, but uh, I was working at a hospital in Oshawa and I'd registered with the CNIB, which is the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. Um, and I'd started braille instructions. And my instructor mentioned that she had another client around my age with the same form of vision loss, which is called retinitis pigmentosa. Uh, and that was Serena. And so that's sorry. Uh, it's the story of how we met. Um, I'll let Serena sort of continue with it. So I have retinitis pigmentosa. Um, and I found out I was quite a bit older than Natalie was when she found out I was in my early 20s, I think like 22 again, starting with night blindness, but I actually have a very rare form of retinitis pigmentosa or RP. So I'm losing central vision before I'm losing peripheral um, vision. Uh, so Natalie and I sometimes call each other like the yin and yang because um, like she's losing peripheral and I'm losing central. So we've been to meetings where somebody passes her something and I have to indicate that that's happening. But if somebody is like looking at me, Natalie has to indicate to me that that's happening. So anyway, it's kind of works in our business because we made kind of this one hole, not to be super mushy or anything. Anyway, so we, um, we met through this Braille instructor and we kind of hung out like, and quickly became friends. It's hard to find people in their 20s who experience such a like a unique perspective of uh, accessibility and disability, especially around blindness in our case. So we kind of like talked or complained a lot about accessibility issues and it made up a lot of our conversations, but in a lighthearted way, like we would kind of get together and be like, oh, I was at this bar last night and I put my drink down where I thought there was a table and there was no table. Um, and we kind of laughed about it, but it also had this like serious undertone of frustration, but we've had some pretty good stories. One time, Natalie, I, I say this to almost everyone meet because I think every it's meeting, so every meeting, the story comes up, every <laughs> single one, <laughs> anytime we have a business thing, I'm like, I have to drop this story anyway. So, um, she was on a bus, like a city bus. I think it was in Oshawa and she sat on a man's lap <clears throat> And I just like couldn't even put myself in that situation because it would just be like so unbelievably awkward. Natalie, I don't even think was using a cane. So she had at that time what would be an invisible disability. So they would not have they would have not known why she sat on their lap. Anyway, I laughed to myself about that one. So out of these shared frustrations, we created two canes consulting. We basically thought like we kind of laughed about it. We're really serious about it at first about creating a company to kind of resolve these issues. And at the end of the day, we decided to just go for it. I kind of as a favor for a local company here did a little workshop and I was like, you know what, let's actually do this. And we created a company out of it. And that was in 2019 and Two Canes Consulting was born. Wow. Yeah. And so how long were you guys kind of just like friends before you guys decided to, to start the business? I don't even think it was a year. No, yeah, it wasn't a full year. Yeah, Maybe we moved. 10 months. <laughs> we went from acquaintances to like, to friends, to business partners in very quick succession. <laughs> yeah. That's we awesome. also decided to start the business like the same month, Natalie had her second child. Like she literally had a newborn and we're like, let's start a business now. This seems like a great time. <laughs> like I'll have a lot of free time on my hands. I'll be getting a lot of sleep. Perfect timing. <laughs> Absolutely. 
So tell us a little bit about Two Canes Consulting and just exactly what you guys do there and what you actually offer businesses. So um, Two Canes Consulting is a general accessibility consulting company. So what I mean by general to start off is we provide a wide range of accessibility services for a wide range of needs. So I know some accessibility consulting companies focus on one need like um, deafness and hearing loss or like a specific accessibility service like captioning or video production um, for accessible media, those sorts of things. We try to provide like a wide range of services across um, um, industry and across needs and across disability. Um, so although we have this lived experience of uh, Natalie with hearing loss and then the both of us with vision loss. So we're like especially passionate about services for those things. We don't stop there. We kind of offer this wide range of services. So our company kind of grew over time. When we started, we focused on kind of workshops and training. Um, and then we gradually grew to offering more and more in a wider range of services. So we grew from that to now we offer anywhere from staff training, AODA training. We have a very popular digital accessibility training where we audit um, people's actual own digital media or social media that they use. And then we provide them a specialized customized training on how to actually make their specific digital media accessible and providing like step-by-step -step approaches for that. So that's kind of our training side, but then we also offer a website audits and remediation um, as well as we've recently developed a partnership doing um, audits of the built environment, so physical space audits. Um, and then we've actually been able to do some really cool projects where like companies kind of have these like unique needs that wouldn't otherwise be any under any of our services. Um, so for example, one company wanted us, so they teach um, life skills to people with developmental needs or intellectual disabilities. Um, and they had this book that actually, like this workbook that required people with high visual acuity or like people with good level of vision. So we actually provided suggestions to revamp their um, teachings to make it more accessible. Um, so we kind of do like general accessibility consulting as well for like special projects. Um, yeah, that's kind of the gamut of our um, process right now. I'll just add that I think what we both love so much about it and what really drives us is that no two contracts we've ever signed, no two clients we've worked with have been even remotely the same. It's like every every bit of work that we take on is just completely new. It's just a new problem to solve. Um, just within the last couple of weeks, we've had a few meetings with um, future potential current clients on very different projects. Uh, one was um, creating audio tours for a museum. Another was um, a digital marketing firm. Uh, another was looking at their HR practices. So it's just, it's never the same, never the same two days, definitely not a nine to five job where we go into it knowing exactly what we're doing. It's always just a new problem to tackle, which, which is exciting for us. Yeah, and that's always the the challenge ar around accessibility because it, it is such a, a vague term for a lot of businesses, especially the, who don't really have any experience in that. And I know, of course, um, you're, you're in Ontario, so the, the OADA, uh, that's a sort of a thing that a lot of businesses are, are aware of and that I'm sure that they're working towards um, addressing. And, and I, I want to sort of talk about that downstream a little bit, but... I'm just curious to, to sort of, what's in your guys' experience when a company reaches out to you, are they really like just like lost in the weeds in terms of accessibility? Like they don't even know where to start or what that means in terms of their services or even their, their workplace, their physical space? Um, that's a good question. I would say that's true most of the time, but not all the time. Like we have had clients who like have a good knowledge of accessibility, but they don't know how to make changes. Like we worked with one um, company recently that is aware of what, how their website is not accessible. And they actually even had some coding knowledge um, and they knew 
kind of roughly what needed to be changed on the back end of their website. Um, but they didn't know or have sort of the expertise to actually like make those changes functionally, but they were like well-versed in the AODA and accessibility. But I would say that's more rare. Um, and what you don't know, you don't know. And I think we've said this all the time. Like we, we always say that to clients and that's so true when it comes to accessibility, because in our opinion, um, the AODA doesn't provide a lot of resources to companies or if they do, um, so for example, um, I'm kind of long-winded here, but hopefully this will help describe it. So the AODA follows WCAG, which is the Web Content Accessibility Guideline for uh, international standards for accessibility on the web. So they have this acronym, P-O-U-R, that's supposed to help companies make sure that their digital content or web content is accessible. But if you read it, like it's not tangible, makes no sense. You can't kind of like look at that acronym and then look at your website and say, oh, this is what I have to do. So we find that companies could read all this and like know that they need to make changes, but the way that these acts are laid out, it doesn't provide any like instruction in a meaningful way to help a company actually go and do that. The point that you bring up about you just don't know what you don't know and that's I applaud that so much because I think that is such a, a key mantra in the um, disability accessibility space. And here in the U.S., there's no one who ever sits around and reads five titles of an Americans with Disabilities Act. So I'm kind of curious, though, when you do work with some of these organizations and companies, is it that they're seeking you out? Is it that they're receiving complaints either from customers or from employees? Or are they just genuinely realizing that they're not being very inclusive? So I'm just kind of curious to what kind of ratio you're sort of seeing in your landscape. Mm -hmm. I would say like a genuine desire to be inclusive is, um, I think it's universal with all the clients we've worked with so far. Yeah. Um, they all genuinely do want to make a difference. I, I don't believe any have ever cited like, formal complaints being made or a lawsuit or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I'd say 100% of clients we work with really do care. And I think most people do care. Um, I mean, I might be naive, but... Um, and yeah, just echoing what Serena said. They often, they just they don't know what they don't know. And that's something that we sort of learned when we started. Um, the first year was definitely jam packed with um, training for ourselves on different areas of accessibility. I think lived experience is, is a big part of it. And it really allows us to humanize uh, the experience of having a disability and, and how we're impacted by those barriers. And uh, it sort of helps with the AODA as well. Um, instead of just listing off, like, these are the different standards, we're able to say, well, this is how this is, this barrier would impact somebody with vision loss. And um, we've, we've developed a lot of connections and partnerships with other uh, disability advocates to, to learn more about their experiences as well. Uh, Serena, I don't know if you have anything else. Yeah, no, those are all like, yeah, really good points. The only other thing is we've tried to use our trainings to make accessibility accessible, if that makes sense. So like our digital training, we actually took the model from WCAG, like that acronym I said, that makes no sense and doesn't help anyone. We took that and we actually recreated it under our company um, so that people can actually follow it as an algorithm. And at the end of it, ideally their web, their web content or social media would be accessible. So we've kind of tried to make things more tangible in that way. And I think that comes out of our lived experience in some degree anyway. Right. Well, actually, in, in speaking of lived experience, uh, I'm sort of curious to get your guys' thoughts on how, so how important do you think it is for, say, companies that are going to be consulting about things like in inclusion, inclusive hiring practices, accessibility, that those companies have representation um, from the disability community on staff that are involved in the process. I mean, obviously you guys are, um, and I feel like I feel like that's a real benefit 
um, for the whole process when you go in and you're, you're interfacing with a company because you can, you know, you're, you're living the experience. So we don't do any service without user testing um, and making sure that the user experience is um, important. So I think that is like one of the most important things when doing accessibility consulting because something on paper could be like accessible and you could meet the criteria on paper like under legislation, under law, but it doesn't actually mean that it's accessible for a human using it. And uh, sometimes the only way to know that is actually to test it. So I think those things to us are integral to every project we've done. Um, and luckily we have the lived experience, but a company without staff with the lived experience would have difficulty with something that we find so crucial. Um, so I think that that in itself makes it kind of critical or important to have that person on staff. Um, I mean, you can hire that out for sure, but I think that having a representation also instills the value of your company. I think the more diverse of a workforce, the more um, innovation you create in your business. So I think there should be representation in of disability in every company in the whole world, not just those that are for accessibility. But as we know, like statistics wise, um, people with disabilities who are like gainfully employed is a very like jaw droppingly low statistic. And that's not just in ex accessibility companies, but kind of worldwide, which is a shame. We can offer so many things. I'll just quickly add um, the the slogan, I guess, nothing about us without us is, is so important. Um, folks within a certain community that a, a product or service or space is being created for, they should be part of the creation of it. Um, and I think, I mean, this is a whole other kettle of fish, but uh, when we talk about representation, um, I know disability is, is sometimes left out of the discussion when talking about equity, diversity, inclusion. Um, so I think it is really important that it that it's part of it, uh, but also recognizing, and this is something Serena and I always acknowledge as well, is that we do have privilege within, within the accessibility space as two white women. Um, so it's also looking at the intersectionality, um, knowing the barriers that we face um, that folks from racialized communities, from indigenous communities, um, other equity seeking groups, they, they face additional barriers. So that's something that we're always uh, working to educate ourselves on as well, because our lived experiences, um, while they're valid, they aren't necessarily universal. So representation uh, is important, but also looking at intersectionality. Yeah, because our lived experiences are still based in a level of privilege that we know that we have. Right. So do you guys have like uh, you know, members in various uh, disability communities that you say contract out or, or help run focus groups or or run through accessibility or is it mainly just you guys? Um, right now we have uh, two uh, kind of contractor partnerships. Both of those people are um, people with lived experience and live with disabilities. Um, and our goal at the beginning of the company was to um, try to make our entire company people from this community. Um, I mean, yeah, we try our best to do that for sure. And so far, that's what we've been able to do. The people that we um, contract out or work with that way, and also the people we partner with so far, have all identified as having a disability and being part of this community. It's funny that you bring up focus groups, though, because Serena texted me the other night, um, kind of out of nowhere. We seem to do this a lot. Like we come up with just ideas for the business and we'll just text each other at 11 o'clock at night. Like, <laughs> hey, what do you think about this? And she she brought up the idea of a focus group, um, just bringing together uh, folks within the, the disability advocacy community to talk about um, sort of some of our our pain points and and what we think needs to change I think especially as we move into this new I don't know is it too soon to say post-COVID it's not really post-COVID yet right but it's oh, a new it's normal almost, there. almost. <laughs> yeah 
Fingers <laughs> Everyone knock on wood right now. Right. Rob knows it's definitely not. Well, he he's a little post-COVID, right, Rob? I'm definitely post-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Very recently so, post-COVID. That's right. Yeah, I caught it a couple of weeks ago. And uh but now now I'm immune, so it's great. I love it. I'm loving it. <laughs> So the this idea about doing a focus group, I, I wish you a ton of luck because we talk about this all the time about bringing together or just the thought of trying to get some sort of consensus from the disability advocacy community that it is sort of like herding cats. I mean, Ryan, you probably have some thoughts on this too, because we feel like sometimes we can't even get people within the blind community to agree upon anything, let alone across the entire spectrum. Yes. You know, yes, there are many, many times the blind community can't agree on A, B, or C, but I do think that we can reach a generalization of the steps we need to take to accommodate the majority of people because we are all individuals, and the way I use a screen reader isn't the same way that you might, Liz, um, or, you know, Braille versus no Braille. There's, there's so many different tangents, right? So... In order to please everybody, I think is an impossible pipe dream, but I think we have to do the best we can yeah. and, you know, start there. I mean, I like a white cane. He likes a snazzy electric blue cane. No, no, I'm sorry. That was black cane. Black cane. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but I do think that like the representation piece of that is so important because I don't know how many times we've had um, different uh, assistive technology companies that on that are developing some sort of new tech where they haven't even talked to anybody in whatever community they're they're trying to service and the product's terrible like nobody nobody's looking for that like nobody it's actually you know unusable it's not practical it's too heavy like there's there's all kinds of ways something goes sideways when you don't when you're not consulting um, the the community. So I do really agree that that's that's got to be sort of a, a an integral point of of all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I know social media platforms are so guilty of this. I don't know if any of you remember. Uh, I feel like this was a few years ago now. Uh, so Twitter released these. Um, I forget what they were even called, but. Instead of typing out tweets, they were um, they were just like audio clips with no means of like alternative format. Right. So they were um, just completely inaccessible for for folks uh, within the deaf community and um, with hearing impairments. And I believe it was rolled back like within a month of it being pushed out. And all I could think of was like did they consult anybody on this and how much did it cost them to, to skip that like initial step of consulting the, the, the broader community before rolling out this update? Absolutely. So it, it happens a lot. And I don't know, how does this affect each of you? Because I know when um, I work on Microsoft Teams a lot and they like to do updates every so often. And it's <laughs> like the, the format of everything just changes every time. And it usually takes me a full day to figure out like where all the buttons are, just scanning my screen. And I, I always wonder who decides it's a good idea to change around the format every time they do these, these software updates. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Um... It, it, the companies are notorious for for doing this. I mean, even Twitter, to go back to the Twitter example, um, and the ability to alt tag photos. Um, you know, of course, they've that functionality is in Twitter, but you actually have to dig into the settings and and turn it on. It's not turned on by default. Um, there's all these these crazy design choices that um, a lot of the the large um, especially, like you said, the social media platforms are, are notorious for this. They'll just make changes, sweeping changes, and they don't really give all that much thought to accessibility, except maybe like three weeks later when they realize that, oh, they've just broken um, some sort of feature that, that used to be accessible, but now it's not. TikTok's the worst. TikTok's are horrendous. As a blind user, navigating that app is just a nightmare. Mm, I haven't even tried TikTok yet. Yeah, it's, it's usable. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, it's usable, but there's buttons and tabs that have no labels on them. And, you know, it's kind of like people using Twitter and just, you know, typing emojis, right? Thanks. <laughs> no, Josh is going, blah, 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 blah. doesn't mean a thing to me. 
Brian is currently taking dance lessons so he could start uh, recording some TikTok videos. That's right. I got the hula hoop ready. We're, we're very excited. It's going to be a AT banter debut. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, and I don't know if you'll, you'll be able to really, if this is a really fair question for you guys, because seeing that you started in 2019, but I'm just kind of curious to hear what your experience has been through COVID and what kind of changes you've kind of seen reflected in, in workplaces and, and the kind of reception that you get now from businesses? Um, you know, are they, are they more receptive to things like inclusion and inclusive hiring practices now that things like working from home are a little bit more standard? Have, have, you, have you guys been a lot more busier since COVID or? Um. So I think um, certain parts of our business definitely increased. Like we did a bit of a shift um, to providing definitely more website audits because um, like having that online um, presence became so much more important in COVID. So we have done uh, more work around that. And then we've also done like our digital media training has become way more popular now than it was before COVID. So our business shifted a little bit to those things. Um, would I say that companies generally, like, so I think that the companies that come to us have come to us because like Natalie said earlier, they already value inclusion and accessibility. I don't think that COVID made them value that more um, and then the companies that might come to us, but maybe don't hire us or we don't hear from, I think that a lot of companies are struggling financially right now. And I think that that's a bit of a barrier for investing in accessibility financially. A lot of, as we all know, a lot of options are pretty cost effective and simple, um, but some uh, do require a lot of work to make some changes that are necessary. I think that that's been a challenge for companies, even if they want to make their space more accessible. Some companies are just struggling to stay open right now. Sure. Yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, Serena. Um, I know burnout is really high right now. Um, turnover is really high. Um, so there's a lot more internal turmoil within companies that makes it um, a bit trickier coming in as sort of an external consultant um, and, and making that business case for accessibility. And right. really in a lot of cases, accessibility and inclusion is, is part of that solution um, to help overcome these things like burnout and, and thriving in a remote first sort of work environment that we see sort of spreading across industries. Um, I do want to say, for me, the ability to work from home has been amazing. I, I do love it, and it I see it as a great accommodation because um, not having access to a car and being able to drive before, my commute to work um, using city transit was often an hour each way at least, and that was if I didn't miss my bus or stay a few extra minutes at work. Um, and have to take the next bus. Um, on the other hand though, there's sort of like finding that work-life balance when you work from home, which I know is something that a lot of people are are struggling with. But I know um, from an accessibility standpoint, I think uh, that this was once seen as a, an accommodation that a lot of companies wouldn't have made before to allow folks to work from home or to work sort of hybrid between home and office and the fact that it's it's a reality now for more people, I think is a great thing. Uh, it's just figuring out how to navigate it is, is the biggest thing for companies and keep employees happy and um, retention levels high. So yeah, I'm, I'll get off my soapbox. That's- <laughs> No, no, it's okay. We all, we, we are routinely on soapboxes around here. So <laughs> it's, it just means we're all at the same height. So we are seeing a lot more large corporations developing things like inclusive hiring practices and, uh, you know, putting, putting things in place like safe spaces and accessibility policies into their work environments. Um, do you see this starting to sort of trickle down from the large corporations 
into, say, the small and medium businesses? Like what size businesses do you guys typically engage with? So definitely small businesses, um, more so small to medium, I would say. Um, we've only recently, uh, well, I guess in the last couple months, really, we've had some good meetings and submitted some quotes for some larger corporations, one of which was a post-secondary institution, um, which is exciting for us for sure. Uh, we've done larger projects for sure, but not not too many of larger corporations. Um, I think it is, but I really think it comes down to this financial investment piece. Um, like, you know, with the companies that we've worked with that are really small companies, a lot of them had the awesome opportunity to use grants or alternate sources of funding um, to enhance their accessibility because they they wouldn't necessarily have the finances set up to do that within their own company. And I think that COVID has changed access to grants and what charity looks like um, and, you know, funding sources. I think it's changed those things a lot. I think there's less access to that over the last couple of years. Um, so I guess in summary, I would say it's still mostly small to medium companies with a few kind of trickling of larger, um, larger corporations or companies. Agree. I think it will trickle down from larger corporations. Um, I think maybe there's this perception that larger corporations uh, will make the, the change to be more accessible once it's required of them because they are, there are more requirements of larger corporations to be accessible. Uh, but again, I do think there are people who care uh, within both larger and smaller corporations and do want to make a difference. We just happen to hear more from those those smaller businesses. I just want to jump in for a minute, Rob, and, and ask, kind of re referring back to the AODA, for those of us who aren't in Ontario, what is the state of the AODA and, you know, the legislation? Is it being effective? Is it in place? You know, how has that affected you guys? Uh, yeah, so the AODA is, um, it's in place. It's uh, been in place since 2005, I believe, with the goal of <laughs> Ontario being fully accessible by 2025, um, which, as you can imagine, uh, there's still a lot of work to be done, and, and COVID has presented some challenges as well. Um, and so while it isn't a law itself, it, it's really considered a blueprint for organizations to follow um, to make sure that they're compliant with uh, the Ontario Human Rights Code. Um, and basically, uh, I, I don't want to say to ensure accessibility because this is something Serena and I both learned that being compliant doesn't necessarily mean being accessible. It, it, the AODA should be seen as sort of the bare minimum of what companies do uh, for accessibility. Yeah. Uh, so I can add to that, like when you say, is it effective? I would say right now it's not. Um, I think that it's necessary that it's in place. And I think that we're lucky to live in a country and a province that has legislation for accessibility. There's lots of places in the world that doesn't. So I don't want to downplay it too much, but I, I will say there's challenges. So one is um, it's difficult to um, ensure that companies are following it. That's number one. So there's not a lot of follow-up to ensure that like, this is actually something that companies follow. The second thing is, I don't think it's enough. So like, I really want to highlight that it is the absolute bare minimum. And in some cases, it's not even a bare minimum. So for example, um, for websites, our company, which is a company that specifically does accessibility consulting, our website doesn't legally have to be accessible. So we can have a completely inaccessible website and that would be fine under this um, act because it just doesn't, it doesn't sort of enforce enough rules, I would say, for smaller companies that employ less people. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we've talked about previously some of our concerns about bringing in an accessible Canada Act and you know other provinces are looking at bringing in an accessible act as well there's there's so much history if we look at the ADA not that the ADA has got everything right but there's there's so many there's so many blueprints out there 
that we should be able to get it closer to right than we currently are. And it still surprises me that you say the AODA was, you know, in 2005 and here we are, you know, 23 years later and you still don't have to have an accessible website. You know, we're still working on these ideas of accessibility. Wait, it's 2028? <laughs> oh my God, what have I... Did oh I say God, 25? COVID I thought I really said 23 years. Yeah, that was a hell of a nap you had there. Sorry. Whoa, holy cow. <laughs> can't, can't do math. So yeah, you know, again, again, we've talked about our concerns about the Accessible Canada Act and, you know, what that's going to look like too. And uh, yeah. Well, yeah, well, it is interesting because, you know, here in BC, we just, uh, what was it, last year? Or has it, has it been two years already? It could have been two years already, but we just brought in our own provincial uh, act as well. And, you know, it got a lot of, um, it got a lot of pushback from a lot of the community um, because really at the end of the day, there, there was really no enforcement mechanism built into it that was really gonna be very effective. And even uh, two years downstream, a lot of the things that they said that they would be doing um, still haven't been done. Um, so, you know, I, I know that for us here in BC, you know, we kind of look at um, Ontario for, for the blueprint because really Ontario was, was one of the first provinces to really try something like this. And, and here we are, uh, I'm not doing the math. So however many years later. <laughs> Reinventing uh, the wheel. Yeah, because I'm just gonna make an idiot of myself if I try to do that too. So, uh, but no, so, you know, even this many years later and there's still so much work to be done and it seems like, um, uh, you know, because I, I feel like a lot of the big problem with these acts is that you have the provincial government changing every few years and they all have different policies and some things they're slower on implementing than others. And so you really have this sort of roller coaster of implementation for a lot of this stuff um, that makes it really challenging to, to get an all encompassing act that's going to that's going to check all the boxes like, um, you know, have effective enforcement and and really be able to to bring a lot of these accessibility changes into di the digital space as well as the physical space that is they're hard to do. Yeah, it is true. It is hard to do like it's some of these things are not simple and to enforce them. It would also not be simple. Um, and who knows if the people like like is. Yeah, I have a lot of theories as well, but um, it comes to representation and if the people enforcing them understand what they're even enforcing and how would they enforce something on such a large scale. Um, I think that there's just like so many reasons why it's not happening right now. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of countries like outside of North America that do really well, like accessibility in Europe when I've traveled Europe has blown my mind, yeah. just like basic things like what Braille is on. Like I remember being in Milan, Milan. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you were in Milan eating Spana Paquita. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was a map of the city, um, carved in or created in some kind of metal and it was 3d. So you could feel the buildings and feel where you're standing and how high the buildings are compared to the person and every street on this like metal map was in braille. Wow. And it was in the middle of one of the main squares. I forget the name of course, but like just something like that. And like these kind of things weren't rare. Like I, it was really just these little things that were everywhere and you don't even act for that. <laughs> I think it's kind of just built into society, right? Like there's no like, act stipulating that you put a 3d map in the middle of the square made out of this with braille and blah 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 but i just think it's like part of a little bit more integrated into life there yeah and i think that you're absolutely right i think that you know trying to rely on all these changes happening because of acts or to legislate them is at the end of the day a little bit unrealistic i mean honestly if ontario was was going to be able to do it you would think that they you know it's again it's, it's been since 2005 and I mean, you can also point to the ADA in the States, um, you know, which has been around since the 90s. Um, you know, again, they, they still haven't, you know, the digital accessibility down there is a complete and utter mess. So I think that you're right. I th and I think that that is why um, organizations like yours, 
um, is so are so important. I think that really what needs to happen is you need to sort of sort of change the minds and hearts of businesses. You have to show them the business case of accessibility, and really try to try to just get them to to be doing the right thing. That at the end of the day is is going to benefit uh, their business. It's going to benefit everybody. Yeah, exactly. And I think there will be more and more companies like ours. Um, even in the last few years, we've noticed more and more accessibility companies coming up, but we have decided to uh, provide services outside of Ontario, even in the States. Um, so that's kind of a cool new thing that we've decided to start to offer if it became an option since the pandemic started. Um, but I, I think companies like ours won't be rare in the coming years, especially as we see some of the deadlines on these acts come up, especially as we approach 2025 for Ontario anyway. Right. Yeah. Three years. That's going to be interesting. Boy, someone's, there's going to be some sleepless nights. <laughs> some Ontario politicians, I tell you, three years. Listen, guys, uh, before we let you go, tell our listeners where they can find you guys online. Yeah. Um, so our website is www. Two uh, spelled out, so T W O, CanesConsulting.ca, and you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, uh, and that's at two uh, again spelled out two W O Canes Consult. Come follow us. Come keep up with with what we're doing. We're trying to be better about social media, so. Mm -hmm. Come find out if we live up to that. <laughs> Even just to check in, we like to chat. <laughs> Telling you guys TikTok, TikTok's where it's at. It's where all the kids are. <laughs> uh, listen, it's been an absolute delight uh, talking to you guys. Um, thanks again for taking the time out and, and chatting. Uh, let's stay in touch. Uh, have, love to have you guys on, especially once we get closer to 2025, because then we, you know, we're really going to see just how this whole... Full, full accessibility in Ontario is doing. Um, so yeah, so don't be strangers and come back soon. I can tell you how it's gonna happen. You get a curb cut and you get a curb cut and you get a curb cut. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. This was a lot of fun. Awesome to virtually meet you guys. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks guys, best of luck. Bye everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Oh, well. Very cool. Very cool. It's it's always nice to hear like I don't know businesses just like startups come out of like just two people meeting at the CNIB. Well, yeah. and more people talking about accessibility and helping others to get there. Yeah, yeah. It is. I don't know, man. I don't. I, it, it, there's no. There, there's no chance that Ontario is going to be fully accessible by no. 2025, right? No. Like, of course not. I don't like. I don't even. I don't know what the state of like that's such an unrealistic like i guess they came up with that in 20 in 2005 they just figured okay well, i'll take it 20 years to to bring the province to be fully accessible it but, would take them that many years just to retrofit every elevator with braille buttons this is it's just this is just reminds me of my just reminds me of my university days where you just you just you know yeah i'll i'll start working on the assignment tomorrow and then it's like <laughs> the next night and you're just like oh my god it's a pipe dream. Uh, yeah, well, I, you know what? And I feel like that's probably why British Columbia didn't like, because that was one of the big things that we criticized uh, the act here in British Columbia. No about, is that they never, yeah, they never, they never put any deadlines. They didn't. So, because at least a deadline gives you something to shoot for and miss. <laughs> we didn't even, we didn't even put a goal on the ice. So. Well, there's hope for the next generation. Is there? Well, I don't know. Maybe if they take a page out of Europe's book and look sure. at some of the accessibility that's been implemented. You know, I don't know why we're still all thinking about it and talking about it. Wow. I was just assuming that the, the earth will be a barren husk <laughs> by then. So, hey. <clears throat> excuse me. I've still got, I'm telling you, I still have like a little bit of COVID throat i still yeah. it's a little phlegmy and i still got still feel like my voice still sounds a little bit funny are you a long are you gonna be one of those long haulers i hope not that's terrifying <laughs> to me like that sounds like that sucks yeah but yeah, that's... Did, did you guys hear about this new thing that apparently is cropping up that they're calling delta cron or delta crom yeah, yeah. I haven't heard yeah, about I've it heard doesn't about it. surprise me uh, this better not be another goddamn variant 
Is it, it supposed it to is, be a It is, but it's not considered a variant of concern. Oh, well, we've heard that one before. Yeah. Is it supposed to be like as lethal as Delta, but as contagious as Omicron? I think, or it's, I mean, hopefully not, but I, I think that's the idea. It's definitely something that is combining, you know, the, certain, certain aspects, but yeah. The worst of each of them. Let's yeah. hope not. Uh, Let's let hope see not. what I can find here. <clears throat> Delta Cron, is that what it was he said? Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, that would suck. Oh, okay. First thing that comes up, experts cast doubts over reported Delta Cron variant says likely due to lab contamination. Hmm. Oh, well, good. I, let's hope so. That, that would be some good news. Some good old fashioned lab contamination. Saving the day. JK, JK. Just kidding. Nobody's going to die. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. Well, okay. So I, I know what it is. Okay. So, hey, Liz. Hey, Rob. Uh, where can people find us? I do believe they can find us on the web at atbanter.com. Hey, they can also drop us an email if they so desire. And if Ryan is close to the cowbell. Ooh. Oh, sure. Premature. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Premature cowbelling. <laughs> that's, that's almost as worse as not it being at all. Oh, he left me with, with, with bluebells. Nice. Oh, <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> oh, okay. That, that gives you the MVP status. <laughs> right there. Bluebells. I love it. Okay. <laughs> at cowbell at uh, atbanter.com. Hey, you know what? They can also find us on uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter. Do you know yes. where on Facebook and Twitter they can find us? <laughs> At Canastech on on uh, no, no, this is no, the AT Badger podcast. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, where, where can they? Ryan, why don't you tell I us? Yeah, what's, what's going on? Ryan? He's just <laughs> selling the company okay. tonight, eh? Damn it. Uh, <laughs> he's a poser. He doesn't actually really care. <laughs> what's the address then, Steve? If you no, okay. I was going to get him to do it in the Batman voice, but I, I liked Ryan throwing him under the bus. <laughs> that was more fun. Uh, okay. And soon to coming, coming soon, the AT Bender TikTok channel. Soon as Ryan figures out TikTok. Maybe, you know what, maybe I'll reach out to the people at TikTok and maybe we could arrange some sort of an accessibility uh, thing. Well, there's blind people on there. I know. So I've been watching videos. Possible. So I think you just need to take some tutorials, my friend. And well, I just need to hit the start recording button, get the hula hoop out, and start okay. twerking. Yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's sorry. My mind went there, too. I know. <laughs> I don't that, feel was, good. that was. <laughs> That was such mind candy right there, Ryan. Oh, <laughs> uh, you can dream on that all night. That oh, was... goodness. <laughs> it's going to make for some really great alt text. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I don't feel good. Okay, so uh, where are we at? Okay, That's it. That's all she wrote. All right, that is all she wrote. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Big thanks to Natalie and Serena for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778 778- 847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 